So the ending to that clip is uh, what I think my youngest daughter, Zoe, would describe that as awkward, right? A bunch of old white guys sitting around staring at each other, um, thinking, wondering, you know, how do I respond to that? How do I react? How do, what, what do we do now? How do we, how do we respond? What difference can we make? Should we make a difference? You know, what should we do? I guess the temptation for me, and if you're anything like me, I, I suppose when you watch movies like this and you see uh, a scene like that, you think, well, that was a long time ago. You know, things are different now. I remember as a kid, I grew up in Topeka, and we'd drive by this old building once in a while, and my mom would say, see, this is the grade school that this, this court case, Brown versus the Board of Education, they, they had this court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court to let everybody go to their neighborhood schools, to desegregate schools. I think, man, that's, that's terrible that you, and as a kid, especially, I think, man, that was a long time ago. I'm glad that things are different now, that my school, you know, isn't, isn't like that anymore. You know, and then I watched uh, news reports, you know, on TV and internet and read stories this last week about events in Charlottesville and I found myself sort of sitting much like those guys you know just another old white guy sitting around wondering how do we respond to that what are we supposed to do as human beings what are we supposed to say what are we supposed to do how do we react as followers of Jesus, you know, how, what do we say? What do we do? How are we supposed to react? What are we supposed to do? What difference can we make? And I think we can represent Jesus well in the, in the, in the face of, of, of hatred and hurt that exists in our world. And I think that as we begin this, this series and we're studying the, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2 and 3, I think... As we begin this series and we explore the first 10 verses of the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, that it will offer us three truths that we have to remember if we want to uh, represent Jesus well in the face of the hurt and the, the hatred that exists in our world. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. Maybe you're using you, you know, your phone, your mobile device. You can find on the YouVersion app, if you have that downloaded, you use that every week, just click that event button. You'll find Wallula Christian Church. You'll find uh, the scripture reference along with the outline. You can also follow along uh, with that outline, fill in blanks as we go along if you, uh, if you uh, like to do that on the back of your bulletin. There's also a page number at the top of that outline that'll take you quickly to Ephesians chapter two in one of the Bibles you can find and uh, the chairs around you. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to take a look at the first 10 verses, three truths that are taught through these uh, first 10 verses here this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, this is what God's word says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he may, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Three truths that I think are, are taught through this uh, section of scripture. Truth number one is that we all face one big problem, that we all face the same one big problem. Now, the book of Ephesians is a, a letter that Paul wrote, the apostle Paul wrote around the same time that he wrote a couple of other letters that have made their way into our New Testament. Uh, we call those letters the book of Colossians and, and the book of Philemon. And, and together, collectively, we, we will sometimes refer to those as the prison letters, the prison epistles. The word epistle is just a, a Bible word, a church word that means letter. And, and so, uh, you, you know, we, we sort those together sometimes. And they're, they're a little bit the same in that they're written from the same place and they have the same kind of background as far as the author goes. But they're different in that uh, Paul wrote the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon, especially the book of Philemon, to, to uh, combat or to debate a, a particular circumstance and a particular situation that either a church or some individuals were having. And the book of Ephesians really isn't written in that same regards. It's, it's really written to a group of churches, more than one church in particular, and it's written as with sort of this thousand-foot view from Paul. It's, it's Paul kind of taking a big-picture view of the church and doctrine, and one author said it was Paul's opportunity to sort of step back from these particular situations and these particular troubles that either churches or individuals were having, and it was his chance to really express this growing love and this, this big idea, this doctrine that he, he, he teaches throughout his letters and that just becomes such a huge part of Paul's life and his, especially his ministry of writing letters. And that, that doctrine is that we're all one in Jesus, that Jesus wants to include everyone on his team. He wants to invite everybody to participate and be a part of his family. And there's this oneness that we can find in Jesus. And that's really the one mission of Jesus' body on this earth, the church, is to share that story, that we can be a part of God's family, that we can be a part of Jesus' team, the church, that we can have this relationship with him, that we can express experience this community, this family, this oneness. And so the book of Ephesians is really Paul's opportunity to sort of express that in this letter, to share that in this letter. So it's a little unusual to me that as we begin chapter 2 with this, this letter, this, this thesis that is all about oneness, that is all about community, that is all about togetherness, that we read these words, as for you. And our section of scripture this morning begins with Paul sort of separating out. It, it, it sort of stands and, and makes us acknowledge, I guess, that as long as there have been people, basically, there have been things that separate us. You know, I, I mentioned that this movie clip, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, that, that stuff happened a long time ago. Uh, but, and there have always been divisions, that's true. Our, our history as a nation and as a world is filled with divisions. If you just think about the United States and this uh, the, the events that happened in Charlottesville this last week, you, you, 
you know, it, it all started over the statue that commemorates, you know, folks uh, serving in, in the Civil War and on the Confederacy, in the Confederacy, and it reminds us of the Civil War, this biggest division ever in the history of the United States, right? This literal battle between citizens, this war of the states, this division. And then maybe we think about a few of us in this room lived through and might remember the, the civil rights legislation and the, the, the protests and, and, and remember, you know, everything associated with that in the 50s and 60s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and just sort of this ongoing history. If you're around my age, you remember, you know, Rodney King and why can't we all get along in the riots in L.A.? You remember the O.J. Simpson trial and the aftermath of that, certainly. Everyone in this room remembers Ferguson and the other communities and the, the racial divide that's certainly present and was present and is present as we think about these events in Charlottesville. There's always been stuff that divides us. These words, as for you, Paul is pointing to this division between folks like him who, who were from Jewish descent and who grew up uh, as God's chosen people and they were told that over and over and they lived that and understood that and everyone else who was not, these Gentiles, you know, they had a serious problem. And Paul begins sort of by pointing to that division and to that serious problem that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You know, those are words that, that uh, deserve to be unpacked a little bit. The, there's a, a slight difference between these words, transgressions and sins, but, uh, you know, one means to fall away and one means to miss the mark, and the point is pretty much the same. That if God is our standard, every one of us falls short of that standard. We fail to meet. We, we over and over choose our own selfish desires instead of the path that he would have. And that, those choices, that sin in our life, leaves us dead. That word dead certainly points to the eternal state that those without, without a relationship with Jesus will find themselves separated eternally from God. But it doesn't simply and only point to this future eternal state. That state of being dead is right now, begins right now outside a relationship with Jesus. You know, we, we have known people, I've been in a situation where I've talked with, with somebody just very recently who is just outside of a relationship with Jesus and have experienced all of these hardships and difficult times, some of their own doing and some from outside, and it, you can just see over and over as they try to figure out, how do I solve this issue? How do I get past this? And it's so difficult for them to see, ultimately, you have to give in To a relationship with Jesus. You need a savior. And they just try to solve the problem, and I've been there. I've tried to solve the problem over and over on my own. It reminds me of when my kids were little. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you experienced this when you were a kid. You know, they'd be outside playing, and they'd, they'd fall down, and they'd bump their knee. And sometimes they'd scrape their knee, and they'd come inside, and they'd find their mom because she's the one that really loves them, and say, Mom, I need a Band-Aid. And sometimes they legitimately need a Band-Aid. They have this cut, they have this scrape, we've got to cover it up so it doesn't get infected. Here's a Band-Aid. But when you're a little kid, they'd come inside, sometimes having just bumped their knee or hit their elbow, and it hurt. And they'd come inside and they'd say, Mom, I need a Band-Aid. But there was no scrape, there was no cut. The Band-Aid would, would, would make no difference. 
And so what did you do as a parent? Well, if we're honest, you guys are better parents than us, so, and probably Sherry would never do this. I would do this. I would go get the Spider-Man Band-Aid and slap it on. You know, the kid would say, oh, thanks, and they'd go away. It would be wonderful. Right? Everything is solved by that Band-Aid. In reality, we know that that Band-Aid made no difference. It doesn't help. And our lives are filled with so many Spider-Man Band-Aids. You know, we've, we've experienced this hurt in this relationship. We've made this choice, and we slap on something to try to get past that. We slap on something to try to make a difference. And maybe it makes us feel better for a moment. But it's just like that Spider-Man Band-Aid. It's not doing anything, certainly, certainly it's not doing anything that makes a difference for eternity. And Paul points to those outside a relationship with God, and he said, because of your choices, because of your sin, you're dead. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work, and those who are disobedient, there are certainly, uh, you know, this, there's certainly this spiritual battle going on where we're, we're, we're playing a part in that and we're dealing with that and we need, you know, a, a God who is bigger than, than those, those spirits uh, battling against us. We, we need help. And, and Paul is sort of changes direction here in verse 3, though. This is what, what's so important. Uh, this, this message, I suppose, can be boiled down to a few simple words. And, and if it can be boiled down to a few simple words, then all of us are the first of those simple, short words. If, if you have, have a pen, if you have a Bible, circle those words in the Bible. We don't do this a lot. Write these down in your notes. Highlight them or, or make a note on, in that YouVersion app. Just all of us, these simple words, but it changes directions for Paul. Because Paul now isn't saying, hey, it's just you folks, you Gentiles, you people who are not, not Jewish, who haven't grown up like I've grown up, who don't have the experiences that I have, who haven't had the teaching that I've had, who, who don't have the knowledge that I have. He now says, all of us, every single one, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is hard to hear. Every one of us, no matter, no matter our background, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've learned, no matter what we've earned, no matter what we've done, we all have fallen short of the glory of God and as such, we are objects of wrath. Some translations may put it like that. We deserve wrath. God's punishment, eternal separation from him. You know, it's not easy to think of this God, this big, big, powerful, awesome God that we've just sang these songs to. God, you are so amazing. One of those songs had this word in it that we sang over and over this morning, holy, 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 holy. I heard a Bible a college professor one time uh, give a definition of the word holy. He said, when, when we use that word and definition and defining God, it's a word that means uh, other than us. God is other than us. There is a God and we're not him. Every one of us falls short of that standard, of that mark. We miss it. We are sinners. What we witnessed 
in Charlottesville this week is sin. It's missing the mark. And they, those folks, just like each one of us, here's the deal. Just like us are worthy of wrath. That's what we deserve. Every one of us has the same huge problem. It's why just at face value, the, the very idea of these groups and, hey, these groups in, in Charlottesville, they're, they're white supremacists, right? Just at face value, this is ridiculous. As humans, we are all, it's a weird sort of commonality to share. It's not a great place to sort of begin and say, hey, we are all, we share this in common, and it's no fun to think about. But it's why that very idea of one group being supreme over another group is just sort of ridiculous. It's why Paul shifts gears from, hey, you guys, in verse 1, to all of us in verse 3. Because no matter your background, no matter what you've learned, none of that matters, Paul says. We all share the same one big problem. We're sinners in desperate need of a savior. And that's truth number two, that we all need that same one big savior. That we all need one big savior. Now, this was a message of, of simple, short words. And the next word that, that maybe you need to underline in your Bible is, is in verse four, but. This is the greatest but in all of history. But. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But, everything changes because of his great love for us. You know, God, if holy represents and points us to the fact that God is other than us, this love is an other than us kind of love. It's a big big love that few of us experience outside of Jesus. Jesus, God loves us so much that despite our silly mistakes, despite our choices to ignore him, despite the fact that we are dead in those mistakes, in that sin, he loves us so much that he'll show us the richness of his mercy. That word mercy, as we unpack these words, that word mercy means that we, we, we don't give someone what they deserve. It reminds me of a silly story about a mom. She was baking cookies for the school PTO meeting, you know, and she had all these cookies set out and, and, and on the counter to cool, and she told her kids, don't eat any of these cookies, they're for school. When we go to school later, maybe you can have a cookie. Well, her little boy heard the words that his mother spoke, but he also smelled the cookies, and he went in the kitchen, and he stole, I suppose the story, he could just steal one cookie, but if you're going to steal one cookie, take three. And so he had a couple cookies. And when mom realized they were missing, she 
found her little boy and she said, did you take these cookies? He said, yes. She said, you deserve, you know, fill in the blank, you deserve a spanking, you deserve to be grounded, you deserve this consequence. But I'm not going to do that today. That's mercy. It's when we're not given what we deserve. You know, in this mercy, this, this richness of mercy that God has for us, it's, it's amazing. It's other than us. It, it, these horrendous events in Charlottesville and the aftermath of that, you, you know, these, these guys who were marching with torches and Nazi flags and their pictures show up on the internet, and then there's this movement to identify these guys. And, you know, they're identified, and then you know what happens. They, they have these broken relationships. They're hurt. They're, they lose their jobs. And you know what they deserve? They deserve to lose their jobs. They deserve all the consequences, all the embarrassment, all the shame that comes with that identification. That's what they deserve. Now, as representatives of Jesus, you know, can we show the same kind of mercy that God would show? Because we are objects of wrath, deserving of wrath. And God chose instead to act with mercy, his, his, to display the richness of his mercy, this other-than-us kind of mercy. He made us alive. He, he changed our position completely. It's a different kind of, uh, of, of, of change from verses 1 through 3 where we find ourselves with this commonality of, of being uh, apart from God, separated, deserving to be separated from God, to being invited into his family, this complete transformation from death to life. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And an awesome word that we, we roll out all the time here at Wallula, don't we? We talk about grace often. If mercy is not receiving what we deserve, then grace is receiving what we need even when we don't deserve it. If you go back to the mom and the little boy, it would be instead of mom saying, hey, I'm not just going to uh, uh, avoid punishment. I'm not going to simply not punish you, but I'm also going to give you a milkshake to wash down the cookies. Now understand that this milkshake would be one of those green smoothie things, you know, that you're supposed to drink with the kale and the spinach and all that stuff. And so the green smoothie, except it would actually taste like chocolate. That's grace. It's what we need and even more than that. This abundance of grace that overflows from our God that, that changes our position completely. So that we're no longer those objects of wrath, but we're made new, alive in him. And this grace is more than we need. That's what verses 6 through 8 really say. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the, the, the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Wow. God raised us up with Christ. He took us from complete separation to complete unity, to complete togetherness, to total oneness. 
through a relationship with his son. And again, we sort of come full circle here with this idea. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not because you have this special set of skills or you've done these good things. We can't earn our way to that state of being alive in Jesus. There's no opportunity for us to brag about the good stuff we've done and the mistakes somebody else has made. Again, this whole idea of this, this hierarchy of individuals is just sort of silly. It doesn't make any sense according to God's word. Every one of us faces the same big problem, and every one of us has this desperate need for the same big Savior. And in relationship with him, every one of us can share in the same big mission. Every one of us can share in the same big purpose. Look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, we're still, we're still taken to that shift to all of us, every one of us created by God, created in Jesus. This points to, to how uh, absolutely Jesus is God, that he's uh, available and a part of creation at the very beginning that he designed us. But it also points to that transformation that he not only created us as, as, as the beginning of our, of our life and he shaped us and made our personality, but he made us new again. When we say yes to that relationship, we're a new creation in him. And he's designed us, created us to do good works. He shaped us we all have certain talents and skills and, and traits that are available for service to God. If, if you maybe need some help in discovering and thinking about, you know, how has God shaped me? How has he designed me for service? You know, one of these small groups this semester is, is called the Shape Class, and it'll help you discover, you know, how God has shaped you, created you to serve as a part of his family. He's created us to do good work which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's created us to do good works. You know, part of my dilemma this morning, well, you, you think about those events in Charlottesville and all the aftermath and, aftermath, and I just, every time I sort of cringed at, you know, it was just, it was just ridiculous. You know, this debacle of a news conference that our president had, it was just a mess, wasn't it? Well, you didn't condemn these groups. You didn't condemn these groups. And, and so his response is, yeah, I condemned this group and this group and this group. He literally said, I condemn many groups. And all of it is, who cares? Who cares? They're Nazis. Right, Captain America, we figured this out already. Do we really need to stand up and say, I condemn this group? What good does it do to say, I not only condemn them, but I condemn this group and this group and this group? What difference does it make? Part of my dilemma this morning is that as this old, fat, white guy, I stand up and I can tell you that the 11 o'clock hour in America is the most segregated hour in America. I mean, look around. And I can tell you that ought not be. So what? So what if we just condemn that? If we denounce the fact that that ought not be the way that it is? You know, it's why I love 
sort of the ending to that movie, that Hidden Figures movie. Uh, take a look at this clip. I so desperately want for that, that, that's how that scene really played out in, in real life, that some guy just went and tore down the signs, hey, we're all using, no more of this separation, no more of this division, we're going to do this to really make a difference. I so want the scene to end like that. I want to stand up before you and say, it's so easy, love Jesus, love others. But it's not enough for us to stand anymore and say, hey, love Jesus, love others. we got to go tear down the sign. We have to make a difference. We have to actually love Jesus, love others.